welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. This is my 100th episode, which must be some kind of milestone. The podcast began partly as a place to connect and share movies with friends when theaters were closed. Cinemas are open now, of course, but one thing I've kept trying to do is to have the kinds of conversations that can take place after going to the movies or after reading an interesting review. As a working critic and journalist, I always hope these podcasts add something new to the discussion. And for that, I have to thank my guests, the many talented critics and filmmakers, for their wonderful conversations. And, of course, my listeners for joining us. Finally, I have to give a special shout-out to my Substack subscribers. Your support makes the podcast possible. Thank you, and stay tuned for more. Let's go to my interview with Maggie Gyllenhaal. She made her acclaimed directorial debut with The Lost Daughter from the Elena Ferrante novel. Olivia Colman stars as Leda, a literature professor on vacation in Greece who is haunted by the decisions she made as the mother of two daughters. Jesse Buckley plays Leda's younger self, and Dakota Johnson plays Nina, a woman from a big family on the beach who was a young girl of her own. I talked with Gyllenhaal about adapting the film's mix of present and past, getting permission from Ferrante to adapt the book, and casting Olivia Colman and Dagmara Dabinchik, who plays a first-time mother in Nina's family. Gyllenhaal also talks about the process of bringing the film into being from her initial vision, and what that took. And last but not least, she tells me the last movie she saw, which is a good one. Well, first of all, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about The Lost Daughter. My pleasure. I really love this movie. I saw it originally in Venice uh, and then watched it again at home. And I think I was, I was, saw even more. Um, were you, were you at the opening night in Venice? It was a press screening. So um, okay. why was there something different about that cut or something or? No, not about the cut, but um, it was just the first time we had ever, ever shown the film to any audience. Oh, wow. Which is very unusual. You know, if you, yeah. usually you have tons of screenings, friends and family, or you even do like tests or I'm, I don't really actually yeah. know that much about that, but, um, wow. but for us, because we were cutting in the pandemic and it was really early, there were no vaccines, nothing. We, um, we had never shown it to an audience. So it was kind of amazing. And um, yeah. it was like the birth of something. Yeah. Were there any surprises about how the audience reacted? I think that first screening with Olivia and Dakota on either side of me who had never seen any cut at all. And Jesse uh, was shooting, so she wasn't there, but uh, Jesse Buckley. But um, I, I think that first screening, I was like, I don't think I was assessing the audience well. I was like, I've completely lost them. I've utterly lost them. And then, then other times I like hear people crying and think, oh, no, they're they're hearing it, you know? And then again, I've completely lost them. And then I was like, who the fuck wrote these subtitles? And it was like, I did, but, um, but, like, but um, I was like, I never wrote that, you know? Right. Or I wish it was louder in the mix right here or, yeah. you know, little things. I had never, ever had that experience before. But then, you know, like, couple of one day later we flew from venice to telluride we oh, showed right. it in telluride and i sat in the telluride audience and it was a completely different reaction really like people laughing a ton in the beginning and i thought oh wow if you're laughing a ton in the beginning it might be like you might feel like you got like punched in the face <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i watched it three times with an audience venice 
Telluride, and then at the New York Film Festival, which was full of all my friends and family. Yeah, and that's great. Well, jumping back back a bit, when did you first read The Lost Daughter? I. It's funny, actually. I've only really started telling the truth about this recently, but um, <laughs> I. Uh, I was a huge Ferrante fan. I had read the Neapolitan novels, all four of them. And I read them when they were still being translated. You know, like, like two of them were out, but then you had to wait a few months for number yeah. three and then again for number four. And it was this kind of like people whispering about this book. Um, yeah. Okay, have you read this? You know, this woman is telling the truth about all sorts of things we didn't even know we felt. Um, and then I read Days of Abandonment, which is another book of hers, which I think is nearly a perfect book. And yeah, the, the, the thing I'm telling the truth about is uh, at first I went to their public, to Ferrante's publisher and asked them for the rights to Days of Abandonment. Oh. And they said, um, they said it's really complicated. It's tied up with this, you know, Italian film company. Um, we can try, but would you consider The Lost Daughter? And I read it in a weekend and I was like, yeah, I, 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 it's the same. I mean, the story isn't exactly the same, but the, the, the fabric of the story is the same. The opportunity for getting into these really complicated taboo truths about being a woman in the world is, is the same offering. Yeah. And the really, the complicated thing about The Lost Daughter and the scary thing about adapting it was the age difference between, it was 20 years between um, young Leda and, and Leda. When you were adapting it, since you, you wrote the screenplay, so you had to make decisions about what to leave in and what to leave out. Um, yeah. I mean, what felt most essential for the screen, you know, for like visual sto storytelling? Um, I don't know. I think it was more like scene to scene. You know, you sort of look at something in the book and you go, what is the purpose of this? You know, why is this a part of this story? Okay, it's a scene about, I don't know, this kid offers her an ice cream, but what's the purpose of it? Why is it there? And so then if you can distill in some way, even if it's not something you can articulate, why it's there, what's the event of the scene? Then how do you translate that into something cinematic? And that kind of shifted and changed scene to scene. There was a whole section in the book that I loved about her daughters when they were a little older. And I would have loved to put that in, for example, but it didn't fit in this story. Olivia Coleman's performance is just so finely detailed. Uh, I mean, just something's happening every millisecond. And I, I wonder if you can go back and talk about, I mean, what qualities about her made you want to cast her for it? I don't know. Have you seen any of her sketch comedy? Because I, I remember her from like Mitchell and Webb and stuff. And even there, she likes, she's so nimble with language, you know? I think her humor, her not, first of all, just inherent kind of interest in humor and, and the fact that she's funny was a huge part of me wanting her in the movie. And also like her humanity, she's kind, Olivia. I mean, she's generous and warm and uh, as well as all sorts of other things like everybody, but, but she's, I think Leda, first of all, does, you know, the, you know, she does something that causes both herself and her children so much pain that they can, you know, she can, barely bear it um, and you imagine I think that the same is true for her kids so 
Let's offer this in the most challenging package. Let's not make her a monster. Let's make her a human who's also warm and funny. And, and fundamentally, one other thing I really thought, um, this character cannot be crazy. There's a whole lot of movies about crazy women. Mm -hmm. um, fascinating movies made by the best directors and the most interesting actresses that we all love. But in this movie, this movie is about thinking about how massive and big the spectrum of feelings that normal people have moving through the world. Is. And it's not about indicting her. It's not about, you know, if you, know, if you see a movie about like a bad mom or like whatever, like a monstrous mom, a crazy mom, you can sort of pat yourself on the back and say, well, that's not me. I'm so good. I would never do any of those things. When in fact, like what we're trying to offer is the opportunity to look at the at the whole spectrum of feelings that we all have about being parents and being alive, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, this movie only came to mind, I think after the second time I watched it, but Wanda, I really love Oh yeah. It. Oh yeah. Barbara Loden. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I have seen that movie. Well, because actually my character on the deuce, they were, they asked me to watch it. Cause they were like, we think candy's kind of like Barbara Loden. And that, so I watched it. I have seen that. I guess maybe that's sort of perched somewhere, I don't know, on 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 the on the kind of. But why? Yeah, yeah. But um, why? Why do you think of that movie with the lost daughter? Just the she just sort of walks away, you know, oh. and she she's just like forget about this. I'm but walking. There's like forward. no consequence. She doesn't even like think about it again in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. She really she goes all in and runs I mean, away. In Silkwood, Robert. I've been thinking about Silkwood actually. Oh, wow. right? yeah. She leaves her kids in Silkwood. Yeah. Does you know and and like, but it's really not the point of the movie. But but she does. That's yeah. a really really good movie. Yeah, that's a great one too. I mean, actually, while we're talking about movies, I I was just reading interviews, and you mentioned that Claire Denis uh, is a big love of, of yours. And I, I don't know if you if you have a particular favorite movie of of hers. When I heard the music in The Lost Daughter, I was like, where have I heard this? And I realized, oh, it's yeah. also Tinder Sticks. <laughs> yes, it's not Tinder Sticks. It's, it's just, Lift, but, um, <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, of course he was in the Tinder Sticks. I love the dance at the end of Beau Travail. Oh, yeah. Like, that is amazing. Um, yeah, I like Claire Jenny a lot. Um, I I mean, yeah, I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and she also came to mind because I thought of her movies a little just with the editing in this movie and the way it really flows between, you know, the present and the past. And I, I would just love to hear about how you fine tune that with your editor. Just yeah. I could see how you phased in, you know, you get a really short sort of flashback, just a glimpse and then a little more, a little more. And then you have a whole cottage, the scene in the country cottage. So it's really yeah. amazing that whole process of so how you fine tune that. Well, fundamentally, the placement of the memories, I don't think it changed at all, like from what it was in the script. The expression of them and, and, and you know, did change. I mean, this is it's like 100% true, but mostly I think that's true. Like, I'm just thinking places where it's not true. Like, for instance, bringing back in Peel It Like a Snake at the very end, mm. that wasn't in there, in the script, you know, and that's very important. 
So there were definitely places, I guess, but but mostly the the movement through the the the, the memories are not supposed to be exposition, right? They they don't need to serve that purpose, which means that so what purpose do they serve? They serve that it's just you're getting inside of this woman's mind. So what does a memory feel like? Sometimes it feels like just a, a flash of something, and you're like hot with that memory hot with shame or desire or whatever. And it's just a flash. And other times you could be on the beach and not know that you've been gone for half an hour in your mind. <laughs> and, and so I think there was freedom in terms of how you express what it's actually like to be living in the world of your mind, which sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't, you know, but part of this movie is that we're getting inside of this woman's mind at a moment that's kind of life or death for her. Not, mm -hmm. not literally life or death, but is she going to live the rest of her life so anxious that she can barely walk down the street without feeling like she's going to pass out? Or right. is she going to go down into the darkest, most painful parts of herself and take a look at them? And usually when you do that, my experience anyway, there's a little sprout of life there. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love how Nina's family kind of functions and all of that because Leda is trying to carve out her own space and find her own space. And they literally are taking up space. And I appreciate that more when I was watching, you know, just encroaching more and more. And yeah. I sort of saw them as representing just like traditional roles, exactly the sort of things that she's trying to get away from. Mm. I don't know what they represent exactly. They do kind of ambush her. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Callie, for instance, you know, who's so judgmental. And um, mm -hmm. some of that has to do with the fact that like, she's never done this before. She's never mothered before. It's difficult to be, it's like you start out thinking you're going to do it better than anyone ever did. Why wouldn't you? And, <laughs> and, you know, judgmental of the ways that you watch people fucking up. And then you're like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, I see. It's really hard. It's impossible to do excellently. It's about learning, you know? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I there I love I love that whole family and all yeah. the effect they have. Yeah. And how did you come to cast a Dagmar? Dagmar Dominic. She taught me how to say her last name. Yeah. Like like the mean chick. The mean chick. Uh like the mean chick. Oh. <laughs> and I always got it right from then on, which is not mean at all. How did I come to cast Dag? I had worked with her. I worked with her on this movie a long time ago, but we didn't really have anything to do with each other. Um, but I liked her. And then uh, I'd seen her around. She's she's married to Patrick Wilson and we'd seen each other at like, I don't know, things around. Then I acted with her in The Deuce. She played a part that was actually cut down a lot. They had to hit like 58 minutes and 30 seconds every single episode. And um so we did this really beautiful scene together and she was like astonishing and um, not much of it is in the episode though. And I was like, damn, that woman is a really, really good actress. And um, I'll, it's funny, people ask me if I wrote the movie with anyone in mind, like with Olivia in mind. And I really didn't. I, I, I really just let her be a fantasy person who in fact in my mind was very very different than Olivia. Olivia was such a gift that she brought her own self too, you know, and it could meet my fantasy and create something exponentially more interesting, but I kind of wrote with Dag in mind. Oh, cool. Even though we didn't really know each other very well, we weren't friends and we just done one little scene together. Mm -hmm. I had her in mind and and then I told her and 
then she came and did it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask also just kind of a general question about the story and just kind of making the movie uh, and bringing it into being like, because I was, I was going through your career as, as an actor and I, I feel like you've always been kind of attracted to roles that talk about stuff we don't always talk about or we don't always see on screen. But I mean, when you were looking for a home for the movie, what sort of reactions was your vision getting? Because it, it really doesn't hold back. And that's what's so great about it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't have to like pitch the story, which is okay. was so great. I appealed to Ferrante for the rights, okay. well, not to her directly because she's anonymous, but to her through an email and said why I wanted to make it. Uh, I told her I didn't know, yet know how. What I said to her about why I wanted to make it, by the way, just as an aside, was that, you know, I was so stunned by how truthful she was about things that I wasn't hearing anyone else talk about. Mm-hmm. I was disturbed by it. I was comforted by it, you know, hearing these things said out loud. And I thought, you know, what if instead of all of these women alone in our rooms reading her book or books, what if we could put that on screen? If you put it on screen, it's actually said out loud and you're watching it in a communal situation. Then it's like the cat is totally out of the bag. (laughs) It seemed to me like that was a very radical thing to try to do. So she was into that idea and she gave me the rights. And she said to me also, the contract, this contract we're making for the rights is void unless you direct it. And I had said I wanted to direct it, but she must have sensed my fear. But what that meant is that, well, then I just wrote the script on spec. I mean, me and my producers bought the rights or the option. And then we, I wrote, and it wasn't until I had a fully formed script that I felt strong about that I I offered it into the world, you know, and then the first thing I did was offered to an actress and got Olivia. And that really gave me a lot of ammunition, you know, Olivia Coleman thinks it's worth making, you know, it was like, that was very helpful. And then Jesse and Dakota and my husband. And, you know, so once it, it wasn't easy to finance, to be honest, but I didn't even start to look for financing until I had amassed this group of people and had a a finished script that was, you know, probably three drafts in. In the end, I mean, it wasn't easy, but once we got our financing, I was, I know that this is not everyone's experience. I have certainly as an actor heard about very different experiences with financiers, but my financiers were really behind me. And we, you know, I was like, we weren't, was we made it for no money so it wasn't like a huge a huge risk but but still they really really backed me mm. and then i have to say like you're right we did not compromise at all i mean well we had to compromise many things we made the movie in 28 days we you know there were there were logistical compromises but artistically i never i know that what it is i was trying to say is is it's very difficult to articulate. And so if you compromise, you're articulating something you don't mean. And it was very important to me to just like, you know, my own version of what I got from Ferrante to like really clearly, uncompromisingly tell the truth about something that's delicate. And I think that that is what ultimately gives it value. You know, that's, I think if it had compromised, it would have been 
like worthless, <laughs> you know, right. I don't know. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, why, why do it unless you're doing really what, what you want to be doing exact thing. Um, yeah. I'm so glad it, it, it happened and it, it was made. I mean, wh where does that come from? What kind of strength do you draw on to like see it through like that? I mean, I think on one level, I've been like an actress who was actually always a director. <laughs> so I, I've been like waiting to get to say everything clearly and simply and in the way that I wished I could have always been saying it, you know? Mm -hmm. So part of me is like, like, like I, I'm not fucking around. Like <laughs> I have my chance. I'm in the editing room. Oh my God. Like I, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. And so I think part of me kind of had had fantasized about having that kind of freedom artistically for so long, whether I even knew it, that here I was just so, I really wanted to hear it as yeah. carefully and truly as I could hear it and then express that. Also, I had really amazing collaborators, you know, as actors, my DP, my editor, who were really encouraging, who were real artists and, were interested in the same way I was in confidently expressing something new. I mean, first of all, like I said, I didn't have anyone backing me into any corners. Nobody was saying, you have to keep that nude scene in or whatever, I don't know. Like nobody was, or, I mean, you know, people were giving me notes and yeah. sometimes I didn't agree with them, but if I didn't agree with them, well, that was all right. Yeah. And, so it was a very supportive and, and then my wild, unusual ideas, like, hey, let's cut this whole entire scene of her leaving to, to I told Jesus by Roberta Fleck, you know, that's a weird thing to do. But here I have an editor who's like, let's try. If it works, let's do it. If it doesn't, let's not, you know, um, and who's also, you know, brilliant and yeah. offering incredible, inspiring uh, ideas all over the place. Same with all my actors, same with my DP, same with my producers. Like, yeah. that's another thing I would just say is like, I spent so much time in my life having ideas I thought were interesting and knowing that the people at the helm were not interested in them. Mm -hmm. And so when I was at the helm, I really truly was interested in good ideas from anywhere. Yeah. I'm curious, like, what were a couple of experiences as an actor where you did feel heard in that regard? I felt uh, like um, the Honorable Woman, for example. Okay. Um, I was working with a director who, Hugo Blick, who was interested in my storytelling, mm -hmm. in how my expression as an actress was pushing the story into an interesting place. Same with Secretary. I felt that way often on the deuce, although the deuce was a big machine. And so if you wanted to change anything, it was sometimes felt like a little bit corporate. So that was more like, how do I achieve? I know David Simon and George Pelicanos, who are the artistic leaders here, are interested in me and respect me. But I know also, like I said, like they have to, they have to, it's like they have 58 minutes and 30 seconds. And like, so you can't, you know, you have to fit yourself into a big, a bigger machine, um, which is its own experience. Those were great. I, I remember once working with Mike Nichols just for a week 
on a play, like a sort of big reading of a play. And he was so full of freedom and love and curiosity. And I mean, yeah, like one thing I, I had that was such a gift that so few directors get to have is that I've worked with so many directors, you know, and I, I can, I can look at it and go like, I'm never going to do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or what a gift that was, how loving that person was, Scott Cooper, full of love and, you know, and how, how, you know, what I want to take onto my set. No, I was just watching an interview with uh, Dakota Johnson that, I mean, it's just glowing with the experience of working with you on the, on the film. I do want to ask just my usual couple of questions. You mentioned that part of what you're doing with the movie is bringing it into a kind of a communal space. So people are watching together. So having grown up in New York, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I know you went to college in New York and in, in the nineties, and that was such a great time for like independent film. You know, what are movies you saw then or what are movie theaters you went then, went to then? Uh, then, I mean, uh, the Angelica and um, Film Forum and also Quad Cinema, mm -hmm. but those were all movies. Uh, and I went to Columbia, so we also went to the uh, like the Lincoln Center theaters. I actually had Richard Pena as a film professor when I was no in college. Kidding. Oh, he's, he, yeah. uh, he's just an encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, those are some theaters and um, I saw some great movies there. And then for my traditional last question, uh, the name of the podcast is The Last Thing I Saw. So I'm curious, uh, what was the last movie that you watched at, at home or in theater, wherever? Okay. Airplane. <laughs> I've actually been like thinking about a new project. And so I just watched, I just have to say, like I, I watched so many movies this last weekend. Oh. <laughs> they were such good movies that I, I okay, I'm going to just be honest here and say I had never seen Blade Runner. Oh, cool. And I watched Blade Runner for the first time this weekend and my mind was totally blown. <laughs> I was, I was like, honestly, I just thought it was incredible. And I mean, from top to bottom, the camera, the makeup, the costumes, the acting, the, the way that you feel momentarily, like, am, am I a replicant? Like <laughs> have all of my memories been, I mean, I, I was like, yeah. I don't know how I went my whole life and never saw Blade Runner. And then I watched Thelma and Louise again, because I just, oh, yeah. I, I told my daughter who I, I watched Blade Runner with her. And I was like, do you want to see something crazy? The same director who directed Blade Runner directed. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then we watched uh, Thelma and Louise. Um, so Great. I had a little Ridley Scott. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking about the movie. And I can't wait to see what, what you are directing next. Thank you. Thanks Bye -bye. for having me. Bye. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening. Thank you.